Welcome to week three of Temple. Paul says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit moves in like a roommate. This series is all about how to be a good roommate. So we're talking about being, being physically fit, being spiritually fit, being mentally fit. Do not miss next weekend as we talk about mental health. But today, I get to talk about what it looks like to be spiritually fit. Are you ready for this? Then give away two high fives and you guys can take a seat. Here's the big idea for our sermon, for being spiritually fit. It's this, staying spiritually fit is simple. Easy enough? Let's pray, we get out of here. Staying spiritually fit is simple and, and would be easy if we lived in a perfect world. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world. So staying spiritually fit is simple until you fill your life with a bunch of unhealthy habits and thought patterns. This is something that we all do. And so we can reverse engineer this thought. And if we wanna be spiritually fit, what we need to do is start to eliminate those unhealthy habits and thought patterns that we've picked up along the way. In other words, the journey towards being spiritually fit is not so much a game of addition, it's a game of subtraction. It's a game of taking out the stuff that's not supposed to be there. And so, for this sermon on being spiritually fit, I have titled it Demo Day. Demo Day, if you are taking notes, um, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, but let's be real, we are all fixer-uppers, amen? Imperfect people pursuing a perfect God together. If Chip Gaines taught us anything, it's that the first step when you've got a fixer-upper is to, to take out all of the stuff that's not supposed to be there. Do a little demolition. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna, we're gonna uh, do a little demolition. Now, fair warning up top, we won't be using sledgehammers, crowbars, Instead, our weapons are going to be confession and repentance. Now, I know what just happened in this room. As I said those words, some of you watching online are like, well, I'm not watching this sermon. Stick with me for just a second. Uh, because confession and repentance are, are two words that are actually beautiful words. It's just that they've been hijacked by fear. And so today I wanna do my best to redeem and restore those words and help root them and ground them in love. And, and so whatever you brought into to this place, just know that God is ready to meet you in love. And I want to take us through a, a story in Mark chapter 11 um, that I think is going to help us get a fresh vision for what repentance really looks like. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go Mark chapter 11. And um, I'm gonna, it's a long story, so I'm gonna read the whole thing first. And then we'll start back at, at the beginning and work our way through it. It'll be up on the screens. Here we go. Mark 11 and verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, I'm gonna read that sentence again and make sure you guys are paying attention. Then Jesus said to the tree, he's talking to a tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Probably assumed like, hey, our guy's losing his mind. What is going on? He's talking to a tree. Okay, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teacher of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city in the morning. As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Strange story. And yet, as we start to unpack it today, what's going to, to happen is you're, you're going to see that Jesus is doing something incredibly profound that's going to change the way we think uh, about repentance. And so, Father God, would you help us in this place as we talk about repentance and confession? Would you help this story in Mark 11 come to life? Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... All right, here's the deal. I believe so strongly in this sermon. I uh, just wanna do my best for the next few minutes to communicate it in a way that will help you in your life. And at the exact same time, there is a less sanctified part of me that wants you to like me. That wants you to think I'm funny. Wants you to think I'm smart. Wants you to think I'm spiritual. Right, wants to, to find my identity and what you think of me instead of just, just pointing you to Jesus. Both of those things are true at the same time and I just, I wanted to confess that. How about this? Uh, Doug and I are teaching a, a Wednesday night course on how to have a sound mind. Last week, the, the title was how to get better sleep or how to take better naps. Uh, that night, I was up from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. tossing and turning, overthinking everything that I had said feeling like a hypocrite at the exact same time. Um, I love preaching about the fruit of the Spirit and the, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience that, that comes from walking in step with the Spirit. And I, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm getting better at exhibiting all of those qualities. And also, this week I got a phone call that I wasn't ready for and I reacted in anger instead of responding in love. Uh, I get to be a part of a growing church and it's one of the most beautiful things in the world to see it grow. We exist to make heaven more crowded, man. To tell as many people as we can about Jesus. Jesus got a hold of my life years ago and it changed everything. And so I just want as many people as possible to hear that message. And so I get so excited as the church grows. And also, there's a less sanctified part of me that likes being a part of the growing church, uh, that finds some of, of my identity and being one of the leaders of, uh, of movement that is working. And, and most of me goes, no, make this all about Jesus, and it always will be. And then there's that other couple percentages in my heart that I'm still working on, that God's still working on. Okay, do you feel what's happening in the room right now? This is the power of confession. It starts with like this sharp inhale. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you doing, pastor? Like, you're not supposed to be talking about those things. Like, is this okay? Followed by this deep exhale of, thank God we can just all be imperfect people 
pursuing a perfect God together. Confession is like turning on a light in a dark room. Uh, when you confess things, when you bring them to the light, when you, when you repent of them, the freedom that is found on the other side is incredible. So my question is this, how come repentance brings up so many feelings of shame? How come repentance makes people nervous? How come when I said we're, we're talking about confession and repentance, some of you felt like you were being called to the principal's office? You know, you remember that feeling where it's like, oh no, I'm gonna get found out. Well, I think the answer to that is found in, in Mark 11. Um, and so as we walk through this together, I, I wanna be a bit of a Bible nerd for a few minutes, if you will allow me. Might be a little more teachy than, than normal. Um, but I, I need to teach you a phrase. Are you ready? Markan sandwich, the Markan sandwich. If you're trying to sound smart at a party this weekend, just, just say, yeah, I've been learning a lot about the Markan sandwiches in the Gospel of Mark. So here's the deal, all through Mark's Gospel, he uses this literary technique that we've now named after him where he'll tell one story, but he'll cut that story in half and insert a second story in the middle of it. So it looks like this. You'll get the first part of the story, of story number one, and then before Mark finishes that story, he'll go into story number two, and he'll tell you that story in its entirety, and then he'll return back to story number one and give you the conclusion of the first story. Now, Mark is doing this on purpose. He's creating synergy between the two stories. He, he's, he's using both of them to help, uh, uh, instead of just having two separate stories, have like almost a third story that's even bigger and more beautiful. And the story that we just read is a perfect example. Put the, the N.T. Wright quote up there. N.T. Wright says it like this. The flavor, he's from the UK, so he spelled that right for him. Don't, don't email me. I actually think that's the better way. Like, like here, we're like, it's, it's just flavor. You spell it flavor. I think that's the better way to spell it. Whatever. I digress. The flavor of the outer story of story one adds to the zest of the inner one. The taste of the inner one is meant in turn to permeate the outer one. Does that make sense? So we call this a sandwich, a Markan sandwich, because it's two pieces of bread with the good stuff in the middle. But the two pieces of bread are, are meant to, to make the good stuff in the middle even better. Because how many know uh, bread is important in a sandwich, but it's really the, the, the stuff in the middle that, that we're after here. And, and so with our story that we're reading today, it looks like this. You have the first piece of bread is the cursing of the fig tree. And then you have the, the good stuff in the middle. Jesus clears the temple. And then you come back with, with the other piece of bread, which is the withering of the tree. And so as we read this again, pay attention to this Markian sandwich and where we're at in the sandwich and watch what is about to happen. So Mark 11, first piece of bread. Does this make sense? Why didn't we just call it Mark's sandwich? I don't understand. Why did we do put an A-N at the end of his name? He's probably in heaven just like, yeah, he could have done better. I wasn't there. Here we go, Mark 11, verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat, from, eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Again, a weird story, but that's just the beginning uh, of our story. Mark is setting something up here. Notice that Jesus is hungry. 
uh, like some of you are, are hungry in this place, maybe physically, it's almost lunchtime, but, but spiritually, going, hey, there has to be something more to life than this. Uh, like maybe some of you showed up to Red Rocks today or you tuned in online because you're going, there has to be some answers to these deeper questions that I'm asking. Uh, like questions about, uh, about life and why I'm here and what my purpose is and if there's really a plan for this whole thing. I'm hungry for some answers because I'm going through some stuff right now. Hold on to that thought for just a second. Second part, story number two starts in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. Now, before we read the rest of the story, let me set this up for you. So, so Jesus enters into Jerusalem because him and his disciples are staying in Bethany, which is about a two-mile walk from, from Jerusalem. They would spend their nights in Bethany, and then they would walk into Jerusalem during the day. And on that walk, that's when the incident with the tree took place. Okay, so what you also have to know is this is, um, this is during Holy Week, and, and so it's Monday, and on Friday, Jesus will be hanging on the cross. If you know the story, the day before on Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem and everybody shouted, save us. Five short days later, they had the same crowd yelling, crucify him. This story that we're reading takes place on Monday. Uh, as he, he makes his entrance on Sunday, but then he makes a scene on Monday. And the last thing you have to know is this, Passover is at hand. And so once a year, uh, Jews from, from all over the known world would meet in, in Jerusalem to remember and celebrate Passover. Passover was the moment about 1,500 years before this when God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. You remember that story? You can go read it in Exodus this week, but here are the spark notes. Um, God's people were, were in slavery in Egypt, and then through a long course of events that ended with them putting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. The, the great plague passed over their houses and they were allowed to, to, to leave slavery and head towards the promised land. I'm gonna say that again. It was the blood of the lamb on their doorposts that saved them. The Bible has given us some hints at what is to come. And so everybody is meeting in Jerusalem to, to celebrate the Passover. And one of the things they would do is they would buy, uh, they would purchase a, a lamb and they would sacrifice it. This is the sacrificial system to atone for their sins, right? And so now whatever you are picturing in your head right now uh, about this scene where everybody comes from all around and they meet in the, this temple courts to, to offer these sacrifices, I need you to like triple it at least, Okay, Josephus, a first century historian, wrote that one year during Passover, they sacrificed 250,000 lambs. 250,000, that's a quarter million. So this wasn't just like one guy with a table set up, like welcome to the temple. This is table after table after table after table after table. Here's the other thing you need to know is, is they were coming from far away and so they weren't able to use their currency in the temple so they had to exchange it. So there's all these money changers who have tables set up. So they take the, 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 the other currency and they give you currency that you can actually use to purchase the lamb so you can make your sacrifice. It's like when you travel anywhere internationally, you know you have to take whatever money you have budgeted for that trip and, and exchange it and you just know you're getting ripped off the entire time, you know, but you're like, ah, what, I have to do this, 
right? And so that's where all the money changers are. And so now with that image in your mind, let's go. He reaches Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Let this story break the box that you put God in. This may not align perfectly with the image of Jesus that, that you grew up hearing about, and that's okay. Uh, let scripture deconstruct some of the, the, the um, places where we get stuck think, thinking we've got Jesus figured out. He's bigger and more beautiful than we could ever know. He walks into the temple and he starts driving everybody out. It says, he overturned the tables overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So now you're thinking, what's going on? Why is Jesus so upset? He, says, he tells us, he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You have made it a den of robbers. Let me give you three reasons why Jesus is so upset. First two, he tells us there. First, it, the temple will be a place for prayer for all nations. He quotes Isaiah 56, seven. The temple was supposed to be a place where people could come and pray and meet God. The, the problem was there was different levels to, to the temple. And if you were a Gentile, a non-Jewish person like me, um, the outer courts of the temple was the only place that you were allowed to go to. And that's the place where all of this buying and selling is happening. And so if you, um, 2,000 years ago, like, like me, are starting to ask big questions and you're hungry for answers... And you're going, I need, I, need, I need someone just to talk to about the deeper things in life. I need just a quiet place where I can pray and, and, and maybe meet with God or ask some questions about, about if this God even exists. And then you go, oh, but I heard about this temple in Jerusalem. And, and apparently that's supposed to be a place where I can get some answers. And so you made a, a long journey to Jerusalem and you get to the outer, outer courts of the temple only to find that it's just absolute chaos a quarter million lambs being, being sold. Think about how noisy that would be. Think about the sounds, think about the smells. Think about how distracting it would be to sit down and pray. Jesus goes, this is supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations. That's level number one. Level number two is this, he says, you have made it a den of robbers. Uh, apparently the, the money changers who are exchanging currencies were, uh, were not giving the best rates. And so picture this, like, like think about the, the class system that this is already setting up. If you are struggling financially and you're already worried about feeding your family and then you know that you need to get to Jerusalem for Passover to atone for sins, and you know that once you get there, you're going to have to purchase a lamb and you're going to get ripped off in the process with the exchange rate, think about the amount of anxiety that that puts on you. Hey, is it any wonder that still to this day when we hear words like repentance, we get a little anxious? We get that feeling like we're being called to the principal's office. It's because humans have been really good at, at um, intervening God's beautiful system and making it harder than it has to be. And so he goes, hey, you've made this place a den of robbers. And so he's upset about that. But those are just the first two layers. 
What's really going on here is layer number three. And if you don't get anything else today, get layer number three. Let's read verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Why are the religious leaders so upset? Every time Jesus does something, there's like the thing that he's doing and then there's the thing beneath the thing that he's doing. And oftentimes the thing beneath the thing beneath the thing that he's doing. It's just that 2,000 years later, as we sit down to read our Bibles, sometimes it's hard for us to see because there's a lot of distance there. And so let me try to, to help. The temple and the sacrificial system was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. It was a God thing. Uh, it, it's just that it wasn't complete. It was an incomplete system like a signpost, like God was pointing forward to something bigger and better that he was about to do. Now, how many know the signpost isn't the end of the journey? If you're on a hike with your friends and you get to a signpost that says the summit is two miles that way, nobody goes, we did it. Take my picture with the signpost. Let's go back down. Now, the signpost is pointing to the bigger thing. Okay, the temple and the sacrificial system was God's signpost. It, it was like God pointing going, hey, this is cool, but just wait until you see what's about to happen. Okay, now, stick with me for a second. I, uh, my, Doug has a, a, a dog named Luna, who's this, this awesome dog with a lot of energy who loves to play fetch. So every time I'm over at Doug's house, she'll just wanna be outside in the backyard for hours, just, just chasing, 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 chasing. The problem is when uh, the ball is on the other side of the lawn and it's no longer moving, she's not interested in going and getting it for me. She's all about the chase, you know, what can you do? And so what I will tell her is I'll go, Luna, go get the ball. And I'll point like that. And instead of looking at the ball that I'm pointing at, what does she do? She looks at my finger. She doesn't understand this concept, right? And I go, no, Luna, it's been over 100 degrees for like 40 straight days in Austin. I don't wanna leave the shade. Luna, go get the ball. And she'll just look at my finger like, well, I wonder what's going on with Ryan's hand. <laughs> when you read this story and you start to realize that the temple and the sacrificial system is, is God pointing forward to the bigger thing, you start to realize that we're all like Luna just fixated on the, on the signpost, on God's finger, instead of the thing that God is pointing to. So, so do you understand why Jesus is so frustrated as he walks into the temple court and he goes, don't you see it? Stop looking at the signpost and start looking at the thing that the signpost is pointing to. The Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, God took him who knew no sin to become sin so that you may become the righteousness of Christ. Don't you see it? This is all pointing to me. I am the one that the entire sacrificial system is pointing to. Like we could keep sacrificing a quarter million lambs every year or I could lay down my life, perfect life, as the sacrifice for all of you once and for all. Man, you go read how Jesus talked about the temple all through the gospels. You see, you see hints of this. I wish I could give you five examples. I'm gonna give you one. Mark chapter two. Remember that story where they cut a hole in the roof and they lower their friend who needs healing? The first thing Jesus says to the guy, he, he looks at him and he goes, son, your sins are forgiven. Which is kind of a, a awkward starting point for in, a, in a moment where this guy clearly needs healing. 
He starts with, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, there are religious leaders in the room who are furious. They're, they're talking to each other like, he can't do that. He's not allowed, he doesn't have the authority to do that. Hey, if your friend wants to be forgiven of their sins, here's what they gotta do. You gotta get them to Jerusalem. You gotta go through the sacrificial system. There's steps to this so that you can repent and, and you can get right with God and then your sins can be forgiven. And Jesus just went, no, I'll take care of all that. I got it, I'm here now. We don't need all that, just, just come to me. You see how furious the religious leader, he doesn't have authority to do that. I read one scholar this week who, who uh, compared that to like, if, if you were just walking down the street and I came up to you and was like, what do you need, you, need a, you want a US passport? I can get you an official US passport. Hold tight for one second, I'll be right back. You'd be like, no, this is obviously a scam. Like Ryan doesn't have the authority to issue an official US passport. Well, no man, the whole reason the temple and the sacrificial system exists is because no man has the authority to forgive sins. Oh, but Jesus isn't just any man. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus stepped out of heaven and said, I'll come for you. I'll live the perfect spotless life, lay down my life so that you can go free. So here's why I say all of this. We get so messed up when it comes to repentance and confession. If you're anything like me, caught up on like the religiosity of it. Am I doing it right? Did I say the right thing? Did I really mean it this time? Meanwhile, Jesus is turning over all those tables, just going, just come to me. I got this. And that takes us to the final part of our story the last piece of bread. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter, who by the way, lots of scholars think was helping Mark with the gospel. So every time you see Peter in the gospel of, of Mark, it's beautiful. You see him like starting to figure it out as he goes. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed has withered. And so there is a tree that is full of leaves that looks like it should be bearing fruit, but there's no fruit. And Jesus has some strong words for it. And then he goes into the temple that is full of religious activity that seems like it should be bearing fruit, and there's no fruit. And Jesus has some strong words for it. And then the next day, that tree that looked like it should be bearing fruit, but had no fruit, had withered. Almost as if what Mark is trying to communicate to us is, hey, remember, Jesus was always trying to do something bigger and better. And, and that, that old way of, of, of taking all those steps and doing all those things that you thought you had to do, maybe it's time to let that wither and die. Maybe there's a better way forward. Maybe it's just Jesus. <laughs> maybe it's always just been Jesus. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Uh, I love, love Psalm 1. It's the beginning of all the Psalms. Obviously, that's why it's Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The psalmist goes, blessed is the one who has repented of all, who's turned away from all of that. And then get this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, 
and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Compare that to the, the tree that Jesus cursed and has started to wither. The psalmist goes, no, there's a way to bear fruit. Let's just turn to God. Come to God. I love Eugene Peterson is, is such a stud when it comes to the Hebrew and Greek language. And so he paraphrased the Bible. We call it the message. I love how he says this in Psalm 1. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. And then get this. You're a tree replanted in Eden bearing fresh fruit every month. My goodness, that phrase, replanted in Eden, has been working on me for like a month. Because staying spiritually fit is actually very simple. There's a way that God created us to live. It's just that we all get away from that and we start, we allow our minds to get filled with unhealthy patterns and we do unhealthy habits and all of that. And the Bible is, is, is screaming at us that there is an endless invitation to be replanted in Eden. There's an endless ongoing invitation that God gives us to go, hey, you can come home. You can come back to the way that it was supposed to be. Repentance, the way I think about it now, is being replanted in Eden. That's why I say it's such a beautiful word. And all that other stuff, I'm like, well, yeah, but did I do it right? Jesus flipped over those tables, man. He made a way for us just to go, just come home. Think about the prodigal son. He's got his whole story ready to go that he's gonna tell his father and the father just runs and hugs him. Just goes, don't worry about all that. Just, I'm just so glad that you're home. You're here. So to the person in this room, the person watching online, the person in, in overflow who's going, yeah, but I don't know. I, I'm probably a little bit too far gone. No. no, 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 no. That's the whole point is that you're not better at sinning than Jesus is at saving, so come home. And so just for a moment, Let's talk about you. Um, I wanna give you just a, a couple of words and ways that, that, that I have historically gotten this off that, that I've realized even in the last few, few weeks that I need to get replanted in Eden. So I'll share these stories in hopes that, that it'll spark something for you. Now let's be real, we could give you a list of like 20, 30, 40 words, but it's almost lunchtime and I keep talking about sandwiches, so we're, we'll just do three. Here we go, the first one is this, hurry. Maybe unexpected for, for a sermon on, on repentance for you, but I believe um, that, that hurry is one of the biggest things putting up barriers between us and God. I, on last Saturday, it's a true story, I was driving in my car, listening to worship, now here, Tyler, feeling good, feeling confident, and then there was a green light about 100 yards ahead of me, and uh, I go, oh, the light's green, that's great. I get to 50 yards away, still green, feeling good. 25 yards away, still green, feeling good. There's always that line when you're driving where you go, if I can just get past this point and it's still green, whatever happens, I'm going. <laughs> I was right up against that line, like a yard away from that line when the light turned. And I go, ah, oh, I, I have to slam on my brakes and come to a stop. No big deal, it happened once. I start going again, true story, the very next light, the exact same thing happens. I'm starting to get frustrated. A third time, the exact same thing happens, and when that happens, I go like this. <laughs> As worship is blaring through my, my speakers. And I catch myself, you know how it takes you a few seconds to be like, what, no, like what is this? It, 
Do you know why the light turned? Because there's other people in the world and they have to go the other direction. And the light's trying to help me to not run into them. And yet we get in such a hurry. We get in such a hurry thinking that our agenda is so important that we lose sight of the fact that we live with billions of other people and that that's a beautiful thing. We wanna be in community. We're created for community. The world doesn't revolve around me. And so this week I've decided what I'm gonna do is every time I come to a red light, I'm gonna go, thank you. Thank you, red light, for giving me a chance to take a breath and we'll see how it goes. If you see me at a red light, you can, you can stop and see. <laughs> so real, man, it's so real. Okay, Adam and Eve knew that the world didn't revolve around them. And then the serpent said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you could actually be like God. And I can't back this statement up, but I believe that ever since then, one of the biggest uh, uh, obstacles that humans have had to overcome is realizing again that the world doesn't revolve around us and that we don't want it to. There's actually a bigger and more beautiful way to do it. We just need to be replanted in Eden. So hurry, replanted in Eden, looks like finding a healthy rhythm in your life a work and rest rhythm like we talked about a, a few weeks ago. Looks like realizing that sometimes the light's green, sometimes it's red, and that that's okay. That both matter. And to over-spiritualize this, sometimes God's saying go, and sometimes God's saying wait, and both are okay, and both matter. See, what happens to us post the fall is we start to feel like time is running out, and so anybody feel like there's like a shot clock up in the sky, just counting down and you're, you're looking around like, well that person by the time they were my age, they had accomplished X, Y, and Z and I'm still here. And so you start playing this comparison game and start to feel like, like scarcity, like you're running out of time and you're, you're, you're freaking out about everything. And I get it and that's real. But if I'm reading my Bible correctly, we actually have an infinite amount of time. We actually get to do this for all of eternity. Uh, and so repenting from hurry looks like a mind shift to get your mind replanted in Eden and go, hey, yeah, time, time may be uh, finite, but I have an infinite amount of it, and so I'm rich in time, and so I can let this red light just be a red light. And, and the traffic stuff is always the, the easy way to not talk about the deeper stuff in life. Hey, I can sit down with this friend who needs someone to talk to right now even though I've got a thousand other things and I can just be a sounding board for them. I can just hear them out. Replanted in Eden looks like finding a rhythm for your life. How about this, division. In the Garden of Eden, the first two chapters, there was no division between Adam and Eve. They were living in perfect unity, perfect harmony with each other, with creation, with their creator. Everything was good. Genesis 3, the fall happens, and, and what, what happens after that? They immediately start pointing the finger, start blaming each other. What was his fault? What was her fault? What was the serpent's fault? What was the serpent that you created's fault? You know, like they're just blaming anybody they can except themselves. And that division starts to put up barriers between them. God created us to live in unity together and, and yet as imperfect people in an imperfect world, it's so easy to put, up, to, to put up barriers. This is what gossip is. Talking bad about someone that's not there in the hopes that it will bring you closer to the person that is there. Meanwhile, all it's doing is it's moving you away from the person who's not even there to give their side of the story. This is what slander is. This is what critique is. We, we, we are a world that's meant to be united, and yet it's so easy to, to get divided. Doug says this all the time. 
the enemy is not afraid of a big church. The enemy is afraid of a united church, which is why the enemy works so hard to try to divide. Hey, let's just call it what it is. We're walking into an election year. We're a year and a bit out. What if we were a group of people that did the hard inner work on the front end so that when we walk into that, we can be a, a, a group of people who are a non-anxious presence, who can respond instead of react? And sometimes by respond, I mean just not saying anything at all or giving somebody a, a, a place to voice their opinion about how they're doing, what's going on in their life, helping them heal from the stuff that's going on instead of just immediately formulating a response back. We're created for unity. And notice that doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't say that we're all supposed to be exactly the same or look exactly the same or vote the exactly the same. That would be so boring. No, we need each other and we celebrate each other's differences, but we all unite under the bigger banner called the kingdom of heaven and the vision that we're all moving forward towards that day where every, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered together, like it says in Revelation, worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is there something in your life that is causing division that you need to repent from, man? It's demo day. It's demo day. Get that stuff out. And then finally, I'll end here with bitterness. Now, you might be going, hurry, division, bitterness. When he said repentance and confession, I figured it was like sexual immorality and addiction. And, and all, of, all of those things, I say, like, yes, absolutely. But I've noticed over the years that those things are often just symptoms of deeper work that's going on. The goal of this sermon is to help you dig down a little bit deeper into that, that, that deeper work and figure out what's really going on. And I've noticed over the years that bitterness is one of the big ones. Uh, people will come into my, to my office for a, a pastoral meeting and they'll say, Pastor Brian, my faith has gotten stagnant. I feel like I've just plateaued in my faith. Would you help me? Give me the next book I need to read. Give me the next thing I, I need to do so that, so that I, I can get back to like being on fire for God. It's a great question, and I'll start asking more questions, follow-up questions, and most of the time, like nine times out of 10, what starts to come up is you start to realize, oh, there's a pain point in their past that they haven't forgiven. There's bitterness that they're still holding on to. I, I picture it like if you were at, out at battle, and you came back from battle, and you had an arrow through your arm, and you went to talk to the doctor, like, oh, you gotta help me, I'm in so much pain right now. The doctor would be like, yeah, you have, a, you have an arrow in your arm. Like, we gotta pull that out, you know? And then you go, no, 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 not this. This isn't the problem. This isn't the, there, there's gotta be other things going on right now. This isn't why I'm in so much pain. Would you just give me some supplements? Give me, give me a practice. Give me something I need to do, right? And, and, and meanwhile, this thing is just here. The doctor would be like, hey, I can do that. I can give you other things to do. But until you address the bitterness in your heart. And so, to bring it back to modern day example, I don't know why I went with a bow and arrow. <laughs> Somebody will come in to my office and be like, hey, what do I do? Uh, I need help. And then they'll say this, okay, and, and don't tell me just to pray and read the Bible because it doesn't work. But it's like, hey, with, with all due respect, yes, it does work. Yes, it does work. It will change your life. It's just that, that when you have bitterness infusing your, your blood with unforgiveness, it's going to be really hard for you to relate with a God who just gave forgiveness away freely. 
The next step is, is, is to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Spirit does and pull the arrow out. Allow that wound to heal. Allow the healing process to begin, I should say. To confess and, and repent from it. And here's what I know, man. I don't know much. Here's what I'm sure of. The day we realize we are ready to start sharing the forgiveness that we've been freely given with the rest of the world, something will start to break in your life. Those barriers and that, that baggage maybe held you down for years will start to break off. Now, I've been saying that all weekend. And I like, listen, I know... That means I'm saying that to thousands of people who have thousands of different stories and thousands of different pain points and thousands of different reasons to tell me to scream and shout at me right now. That's not fair. I know that. And I won't even pretend, I won't even pretend like I understand what you're feeling right now. Ladies that God behind bars, I won't even pretend like I, I understand the, the bitterness that, that some of you may be feeling right now. What I do know is that there is one who understands, that there is one who laid on a cross 2,000 years ago with a Roman soldier putting a, putting a nail through his hands. And as that soldier did that, so that Jesus could overturn the sacrificial system once and for all by completing it, he looked in the eyes of that Roman soldier and said, hey, uh, Father, forgive this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing just a kid, man, just probably trying to fit in with his buddies. This is the one that we follow. This is the way that Jesus operated. Forgive first, forgive fast, forgive always. Just, just forgive, 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 forgive. It would be like, uh, imagine there's a huge buffet that God has laid out for you with every food you could ever imagine and an unlimited amount of it. And you have that for your meal, but then your ex or your old boss, or that church you used to be a part of, says, hey, can, I, can we get some of that? And you go, no, this is my food, this is my meal. And they go, yeah, but there's an unlimited amount. I don't care, I want it all for myself. This is what bitterness does. But when you can get bitterness replanted in Eden and, and start to forgive, hey man, even sometimes when you don't quite feel it, you just start declaring it, you watch how these things will start to break off of your life. You watch how these weights that you were never meant to carry start breaking off your life. Jesus just goes, hey, come to me. Come to me, I've got this. Stop playing the game of religiosity. Stop feeling like you have to do all these steps and follow this pattern to be okay. I flipped all of those tables over to remind everybody I am the Lamb of God. Just come to me. So if you're able, would you stand to, to your feet? Ladies of God behind bars, people out in overflows, we are go about to sing a, a song called Something Has to Break because confession and repentance is like turning a light on in a dark room. When you do it, the darkness doesn't like battle with the light. The darkness just leaves. It has to break. In the same way when you start to forgive, something has to break. So I don't know your story, I don't know where you're at, and I'm realizing more and more that I don't have to, and that it's not my job to understand, it's just my job to point you to Jesus. Jesus, 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 it's always been about Jesus. 
And so Father God, for every person in this room, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. For every person watching online, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. You know the battle that they are fighting. You know the bitterness that they are holding on to. You know the division in their life. You know the hurry that they are prone to. And so right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would remind them that you love them and that as they turn to you with their speech planned out to, to, to tell you how much they're, they're sorry that you're actually just sprinting towards them, that you're actually just wrapping them in your arms, that you're putting the, the, the cloak and the ring and the sandals on them and you're reminding them that they are your son, that they are your daughter with whom you are well pleased. Hey, right now with every eye closed, if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online who goes, I don't need to be replanted in Eden, man. I need to be planted in Eden for the first time. I need to give my life to Jesus. I wanna follow the way of Jesus. Would you just boldly put your hand up in the air? If that is you, wherever you are watching from, just, just repeat after me, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I repent for my sins. Jesus, would you come and would you save me? Now for the rest of us, who go, man, I have some elements of my life, some aspects of my life that have gotten away from Eden. I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to be replanted. Would you just boldly just put your hand up in the air? I wanna say a prayer for you. Father, you see every hand. You know their story. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would meet them. Lord, that you would surround them with love. <laughs> you would surround them with joy. You would surround them with peace. Lord, if, if anybody thought there was going to be shame in this moment, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would break into that space and remind them that the news is better than they could ever have known. Wrap them up in your love. And now, Holy Spirit, for anything that's holding us back from you, we pray as we turn our attention to you that you would just start to break the chains.